0: Wow. <laughs> I don't even know what to say or do. Um, other than uh, a bunch of riding bulls. Really? Uh, I think he's talking about mechanical bulls is what we'll have on the property. Not so... Safer. A little safer. yes. Exactly. Get your Bibles out if you would, please. Um, Romans 13. We've been doing a series around here that we're calling Life in the Spirit. And what we're doing is that we're going through... The book of Romans, and we're now in the last section of the book of Romans, which is chapters 12 through 16. And this portion of the book of Romans is all on the topic of service. This morning we're on at chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along there, or you can also follow along on the screen. We're starting here in verse 1, which says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Kind of a big portion of Scripture, don't you agree? And here the Apostle Paul, he's talking about this issue of our relationship to government, and even in a larger sense, our relationship to authorities in general in our life. And I think for a lot of us, this is a tough topic, right? It's a tough topic, especially in the world in which we live in today, because we are at a historic low in terms of how most of us view um, those in authority. Only 18% of Americans actually believe and trust that the government in Washington, D.C. is actually going to do what they're um, commissioned it to do. Uh, that's a, a historic low in, in our nation. Not only that, only 64% of Americans have a favorable view towards police officers, and of that, only 55% of Hispanic Americans have that favorable view, and only 18% of, of African American People have that favorable view of police officers. And then, on top of that, in our culture, we've had this huge movement because um, these powerful, high powered men in all aspects of our culture have been pressurizing and abusing and controlling and misusing women really forever. Um, It's only just now coming out in our culture. And so, the idea, this idea of authorities and just talking about it and thinking about this issue of authority, I think for a lot of us just causes our blood pressure to rise just a little bit now we're talking about it here in church where you're supposed to have peace and all of that well I want to try to help you here this morning because here in Romans chapter 13 God's saying that the way we actually relate to government and the way we relate to the authorities that are in our life actually is an indication of our commitment to Jesus Christ it actually is an aspect of faith in our lives, and I think one of the most important lessons that you and I can learn is actually how to live our lives under authority. And Catalyst is one, which is our discipleship thing that we do here at church. And if you've never gone through Catalyst, I would encourage you to, in the fall, to sign up for it because we spend a lot of time talking about this because it's one of these hot topics. That really has impact in our life. And a lot of us we just view it wrongly. And so I can't go through all the details that we talk about in Catalyst. but I want this morning, I want to kind of give you an overview of this and really talk with you about what does it look like to live your life under authority. I want to start in the Old Testament first. In Psalms 91, verse 1, it says this: It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in whom I trust, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon a lion and a cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, said the Lord, "'I will rescue him. "'I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. "'He will call upon me, and I will answer him. "'I will be with him in trouble, "'and I will deliver him and honor him.'" With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And so here, David, he's describing what it means to, to live your life under God's covering. And when we live our lives under God's covering, there's protection, there's freedom, and that's when we see the answers to our prayers happening. But I want you to notice here at the beginning in Psalms 91 that it starts out by saying, He who... In other words, there's a condition here. There's con- there's condition for us to be under God's covering, and so the question is then, who is he who's under God's covering? Well, the psalmist describes here that the one who's under God's covering is the one who's under God's authority. And here is where I think so many of us get this all mixed up, and I think there's a disconnect for so many of us, because I think for so many of us, we just don't understand what it means to live our lives under God's authority. And so as a result, I think so many of us, we tend to leave our jobs, and we leave our cities, and we leave our churches, and we leave our even our, even our families where God has, plant, has planted us, because we disagree or we have issues with the authorities in our life, or we use the God card, and we say, God said, and, and so it doesn't matter what any of the authorities in my life life are saying, God spoke to me, and so therefore I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this decision. Or we make decisions in our life without ever thinking about or consulting the authorities God's place in our life and getting the blessing of those who are in authority in our lives. And so invariably, what happens is we come out from underneath God's covering under the authority that he has for us and we end up unknowingly going against the will of God all while we're thinking we're pursuing what's in our own heart. And unknowingly, you can come out from underneath that protection, out from underneath that freedom and what God is wanting to do in your life because you're pursuing what you think is good. Then you need to understand, again, what the psalmist describes is that when we're under God's authority, there's protection, there's freedom, And you're going to see, actually, that's when faith thrives is when we're under authority. Look at this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Jesus tells the story um, in, in, in an example that he encountered in Matthew 8, verse 5. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. And Saturnium replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. Here was a man who understood authority. He understood how to be in authority. And he understood how to submit then to authority. And look at the results. The first result was faith. Jesus said in verse 10, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then the second result were answered prayers. Jesus said in verse 13, go, and it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Now, think about what's going on here. Because... Jesus equated this man's understanding of submission to authority as faith. Did you see that? Jesus equated this man's understanding of submission to authority as faith. And as a result, this man's prayers were answered in very dramatic ways. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to learn how to live my life that way. I want to learn how to live my life in so much where I live my life under authority so that Jesus can also say to me, you have great faith. Go, and it will be done for you just as you believe. I want to learn how to live my life under there. And what you'll see throughout scripture is that when we live our lives under God's covering, under God's authority, that that's when faith thrives. That's when there's freedom. That's when there's protection. And that's when you see God's answering your your prayers here. And so go back to Romans chapter 13 verse 1 and look at how Paul describes it. He said, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, Paul talks about three things about authority here just in these couple of verses. Number one, God is the source of all authorities in the universe. So Paul sets this first as a foundation. When you start, we start talking about authorities, it's important for you to understand that God's the source of all the authorities in the universe. Now, here's what we need to understand, because when the Bible talks about authorities, he's not talking about a person, he's talking about a position. And this is a really important delineation for us to all to understand, because for so many of us, the reason why we get de- de- derailed when we talk about authority is because we think about the people in those positions. But Scripture, when we talk about authority, is talking about the position, not the person that's in that position. That's a really important thing to understand because so many of us, the reason why authority messes up is because we think about the people who have really abused authority. But what the Bible's talking about, what Paul's talking about here, is talking about the position, not the person here. And so that means regardless of who your dad is and the character of your father... Regardless of who your boss is and the character of your boss, regardless of who your teacher is and the character of your teacher, regardless of who's the president of the United States, no matter what that character of that person is, I may not agree with that person, I may not like that that person. I may not be able to, I don't like the character of that person. I may not even agree with that leader's political persuasion, but I'm called by God to honor and to respect that position that God has put that person in because it's been established, that position has been established by God. Does that make sense? It's not about the person. It's about the position. And for those of you who've been in the military, you understand that far greater than any of us civilians here in the room. Because as the, those of you who've been in the military, as a soldier, you salute the uniform, not the person in the uniform. You may not even know who that person is in the uniform, but you salute the uniform, right? And, no, and so you might detest, or you might not even know or like that person, that you still honor and respect and salute that person. That uniform because it's the position of authority there. And that's what Paul's talking about. God's the one who established these authorities. And then the second thing is that since all governing authorities are instituted by God, then all authorities are delegated by him and they represent his authority. You still with me, everybody? Did I just offend everybody in this room? You still? come on. Please, please please stay with me if you would. So all authorities are delegated by him and they represent his authority. And so that's why, throughout scripture, then what you'll see throughout the Bible over and over, over again, that God holds those who are in authority to a higher level of accountability. Because those people who are in those positions have been delegated by and they represent his authority. Look at this in Psalm 72, verse 1. It says, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness your afflicted ones, with justice. Verse 4, He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children from, of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. Verse 12, For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight." See, because authorities are delegated by God and they represent his authority, then authorities are to take care of the oppressed and the poor. Authorities are to take care of the disadvantaged. Authorities are to seek the needs of everyone, not just the privileged few. That's how God says that the leaders are so supposed to be. No matter whether you're a teacher or you're a coach, whether in your political world or an executive of a company, that that is the role because you represent then his authority. And look at how serious God considers this issue. Isaiah 10, verse 1. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, To deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run? Where will you leave your riches? And so if you're in a position of authority and you don't take care of the needs and the rights and the privileges of those you, who, who you lead, you need to understand that one day you're going to stand before God and have to give an account for your life. And God holds those who are in positions of authority even greater, greater, more, more responsible. Because you're in a position that's been delegated and you represent, you are to represent God. You are a servant of God, whether you realize it or not. Whatever position of authority, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a grandparent, you're in a position of authority and you're to represent God. If you're a boss, if you're an employer, you're, you're in a position of authority and you're to represent God. And that's what he's talking about here. And the third thing is says about authority is that God himself has established the system of authority in order to manifest himself. And I just find this really interesting. That God actually established this order, this order of authority to manifest himself, which is the reason why what Lucifer did was so dramatic and had such great consequence because he rebelled against the ultimate authority. And so that's why whenever you see authority, you have the opportunity to experience God. Every time you encounter authority, you have the opportunity to experience God. Now, look again in Romans 13, verse 1. He says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authority. Now, there's four key words here that I want to make notice of here in regards we he talks about authority. The first key word is everyone. Say everyone. That word in the original Greek language that this was written, you know what it means? It means Everyone. <laughs> And so in case it's confusing for you here, let me kind of dissect that for you. That means that none of us are exempt. Everyone means everyone. That means you. That means me. That means no matter who you are in this world, whether you're a mom or a dad, whether you are an executive of a corporation, whether you're a teacher or a coach, whether you're the president of the United States, none of us are exempt. Everyone means all of us. All of us are part of this. So that's the first word. The second key word is Must must and so in other words this is not God's not just giving us a recommendation or a suggestion he's giving us a command this is a command from God he's just he's not just saying, well here's a good idea everybody no he said everyone must it's a commandment from God and the third key word is submit oh how we hate that word in our culture don't we That word, for a lot of us, when we hear that word submit, it just causes us to cringe a little bit because there's been so much abuse done under this word submit. And so let me define it for you. In the original Greek language that this was written, the Greek word for the English word submit is the word hupotasso. And that word is broken up into two ways of how it's described, one in a military usage and one in a non-military usage. The military usage of this word meant to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. Now, can you picture that? To arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. That's the word submit, it has, has that picture. And then the non military usage of that word means this a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. And so let me put those together because that word submit and what it's describing here in the Scripture means to voluntarily place ourselves under submission to the authorities with the full intent of obeying them. Now look at the verbiage. It's really important for you to understand the verbiage. Because first it starts about saying to voluntarily place yourself. To voluntarily, in other words, if somebody tells you to submit, that's abuse of power. Because it's I volunteer. it's gotta come from me. It's a condition of my heart. Submit can only happen by the person submitting it. Anybody who tries to force you to submit, that's abuse. Because submit is something that I can only do. I have to voluntarily do it. And not only do that, I have to have the full intent of obeying them. So it's a condition of my heart. It's an evidence of my heart. Am I just making am I just saying something? Or do I really want to come underneath this authority? That's what that word, submit, means. Now, it's easy to talk about this in theory, isn't it? It's easy to say, oh, yeah, I I can submit to the authorities in my life. But here's where it's always tested. And it's tested whenever one of your authorities tells you to do something you don't want to do. I'm not talking about illegal or immoral something. You know, but your boss tells you to do the project this way. And you're thinking, I don't want to do it this way. I want to do it this way. The heart condition is that full intent of obeying, to come up under. Now, we can, a, we can have a conversation, right? You can have a conversation, but at the end of the day, if your boss says, this is, what I, this is how I want it done, then the submissive heart voluntarily comes under with the full intent then of obeying. Again, the Bible talks about when we do that, there's freedom, there's protection, there's blessing when that happens. And so that's the third word. And then the fourth key word here, actually there's two words, are Governing authorities. Governing authorities. And the New Testament speaks of four divisions of these governing authorities. Number one, are civil authorities. And here, if you live here in the United States, which we do, those represent your local and your state and your national authorities, civil authorities. But I want you to notice, when Paul talks about this, he just, when he says in in Romans chapter 13, when he talks about government, it just uses the word government, or the word governing here. That's That's all it says. It didn't describe what type of government that he's referring to, which means is he's not saying, if you want to be a Christian, then you have to be a Republican. Or if you want to be a Christian, you have to be a Democrat. Or if you want to be a Christian, you have to be a libertarian. That's not what he's saying. As a matter of fact, when Paul was writing this, he wasn't even living in a democracy. That's not what he was even talking about. He lived in the Roman Empire, which was a Dictatorship. And all throughout history, believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ have lived through all different forms of government. So God's not saying that there's a specific type of government that is a godly form. But what he's talking about here is that civil government is a representation of authority. It's one of those authorities that God has a purpose for that we are then to come under. It's one of those authorities in our life. Another type of governing authority are church authorities. So church is actually supposed to be an authority in our life that we're to come up under. And another one of those governing authorities is family. So family is one of those. So that's your mom and dad, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles. that God got to actually established. this as one of the authorities then in our life that we're to come under. And then, then the fourth one is social authorities. And so these are your bosses, these are your, your employers, your, your teachers, your, your coaches, um, those that are more in, in a social sense. That's, a, that's the fourth branch of governing authorities that Scripture says we're to come under. And so look again in Romans 13, 1. Let me expand and define this verse because it says everyone, so that means you and me, must, so it's a commandment. God's commanding us to do this. Submit, so that's voluntarily place ourselves under. Submission to with the full intent of obeying, so everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, so the civil authorities, the church authorities, the family authorities, the social authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, are you getting the point here? This is a pretty big deal, right? Right? Scripture makes this a huge part. That living our lives under authority is an enormous part of Scripture that you'll see from Genesis all the way through the Book of Revelation. And so the question I have for you then here today is: Then who are the authorities in your life? So if we're to live our life under authority, it's really important to know the authorities that are in your life, right? So that in all times and in all ways, whatever decision I'm, I'm having to make. whatever whatever I'm going through, that I can come up underneath those authorities. Because, again, the premise is that when we live under God's covering, when we live under God's authority, there's freedom, there's protection. That's when my my prayers are being answered, and that's where where faith is really stimulated, right? So I need to always know who are those authorities in our lives. Let me break this down even further, because Scripture says there are actually seven levels of authority that we're to bring our lives under and really I think this is this is where the kind of the rubber meets the road for every single one of us because I think it provides this litmus test of whether or not we're really going to live our lives under authority we can talk about all day long we can in theory in theory agree to it but you need to always know what are these authorities in my life so you can live up underneath them because that means every decision you make needs to come through this grid of these seven levels of authority so if you're making a decision, should I take this job or not? Should I move here or that? Should I, should, I do, should I do this? Then you need to be able to submit that then to the grid to come under these seven levels of authority. Whatever belief you have, whatever idea that you're trying to formulate, I need to bring that up underneath these seven levels of authority. So let me walk you through this here. Because the first level of authority is sovereign authority. Sovereign authority. Philippians 2 verse 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus is the only one who holds this position of authority. Why? Why? Because he's never wrong, he's never challenged, he's he's always right. Which means all men, all women, we're foul, we all make mistakes, but God doesn't. And so that means no pope, no president, no pastor, no apostle, no man, no woman, no no executive, there's no one who can fulfill this position, not even you. (laughs) You aren't the sovereign authority in your life, only God is. And so that means that every decision that you make, needs to first and foremost go to God. What does God say about this? Not just what does my mom say about this, or what my dad say about this, or what does my friend say about or what do I say about this. Every decision that you make needs to first be submitted to what does God say about this. That's where you start with, because I want to know what God says about it, because I'm going to live underneath that level of authority. And then the second level of authority is the authority of truth. The authority of truth, Psalms 138 verse 2 says, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And in Acts 17 verse 11 it says, For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And so the authority of truth is everything that's written in your Bible. That's what the authority of truth is. And that's why it's mandated and it's your responsibility to always search the scriptures for yourself. And you'll hear me say this all the time. Do not just immediately embrace what I say. You are responsible to search your Bible to find out what is truth. Don't just immediately embrace what I say. Even this message, go back and study it for yourself. Study what God says in his word because that's the second level of authority in your life. And here's the thing. I think our culture is filled with people today our culture is molded by people today who, who do not have these two first two authorities in their life. You can see the evidence of the lack of sovereign authority and the authority of truth in people's lives in vast array. And I would suggest to you that you are probably really close to living your life that way too. Because the pressure of culture is outside of these two authorities. Because when we don't have sovereign authority, first and foremost in your life, and you don't have authority of, of truth in your life, then what happens is that truth becomes relative. And that is the, the theme of our culture. Truth is relative. Whatever feels good, do Whatever your emotions say, go ahead go ahead and do that. Whatever your thoughts are, follow through on that. Whatever your hormones are raging, just embrace that. Whatever people say, just, just follow that through. Embrace what people say. This is how you'll know whether these two are established in your life is if you follow that mode. If you're just doing what feels good, if you're just following your emotions, if you're just following your thoughts, if you're just following your hormones, if you're just following what everybody else says, then you will know that these two are out of place. And so these two have to first and foremost be established in our life to come up underneath the authority. So what does God say about this? I'm feeling this. What does God say? So I look at the Bible. What scripture? What's written down in Scripture? I feel this. I think this. But what does Scripture say? And so coming under authority means, okay, it doesn't matter how I feel. doesn't matter what I think. This is what God says. And so I submit, then, my life to that, not my feelings or my thoughts or what everybody else is saying. Which then brings me, then, to the third level of authority, and that's the authority of conscience. The authority of conscience. Look at this in Romans chapter 14. And I'm going to read it to you out of the message, just because I think it's fun. It's a... It takes it a little bit ways, it's not completely there, but it's a paraphrase there, but I think you'll understand it. Romans 14, verse 1, it says, Welcome with open arms, fellow believers, who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Pretty good advice right there. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume that all Christians should be vegetarians and eat accordingly. You have to read the original translation to understand the difference here. That's why I think this one's funny. <laughs> but since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if you felt to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, in- invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say, one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all this is that you keep a holy day. Keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. Everybody say amen to that one. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. I'm sure somebody has an amen with that one too, but it's a little less, right? None of us are permitted. That's a little squeaky. None of us (laughs) are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we're answerable to. All the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? Um, uh, And where does that leave you when you can condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in Scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Again, it's a fun way of, he kind of paraphrases this a lot because I'll let you read it in your, your own translation there. But what he's talking about is that all of us, we have these, we have these personal convictions or internal codes of way of doing things. In other words, it's our, our conscience. And so examples of this are, you know, what are we supposed to eat? As a Christian, what am I supposed to eat or not eat? As a Christian, Am I, what am I to drink or not drink? As a Christian, what am I to wear or not wear? As a Christian, what movies do I go to and not go to? As a Christian, what music do I listen to and not listen to? These are all uh, issues of our conscience. But here's the thing you have to remember when it comes to this authority of conscience because this authority of conscience only has authority in your life when the Bible says nothing about it or if it's a little bit more gray. It's unclear. Does that make sense? Because the authority of conscience is your third level of authority. It's not your first. It's not your second. So you don't, you don't go first and foremost to your authority of conscience. You go first to the, authority, the sovereign authority. But your authority of conscience is an authority. And when we talk about authority of conscience, this is where conflict then arises between believers. Because up to this point, we all agree. Because God's the same for you and for me. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we look at our decisions and we look at what we believe, and we ask what God says about this, we're going to come up with the same conclusion. But as soon as we go to this level three, now we're, that's where differences come in. Because now your conscience is gonna say different things than my conscience will. In other words, I may fully believe as a Christian, I cannot wear black clothing. No offense to all of you wearing black today. Because for those of you wearing black today, you as a Christian, I don't, have, I don't have any problem in wearing black. Or I can be fully convinced as a Christian, I can't, I can't drink alcohol. But for some of you, you're you're thinking, I don't have any issue with drinking alcohol. That's the issue of your conscience. That's what he's talking about here. And and to expound on this just a little bit more, I think this is where churches and pastors make huge mistakes because what pastors can do and what churches can do is that, that we can teach our conscience instead of Scripture, and we can equate our conscience with what Scripture, and let me just suggest to you that's abuse of power. It's abuse of power because it doesn't matter what my conscience says, it matters what Scripture says. Because Scripture is the authority of sovereign authority and the authority of truth, then your conscience. And then you have to pay attention to what your conscience says about that. And so as you're trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do? What do I think about this? What do I believe about this? Take it through the grid. And then the fourth level of authority is called delegated authority. Delegated authority. We talked a little bit about this already, but in Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and, su- and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Now, we talk about delegated authority. One of the distinctions that's so important to understand about delegated authority is that they have this position of authority based upon responsibility. That's a really important delineation to have in your head. Delegated authority is not given based upon talent, gifting, intelligence, or character. Those of you who are parents didn't have to go through a character test to become a parent. You didn't have to go through a talent test to make sure you had everything you needed to know before you came It's responsibility. Delegated authority is based upon responsibility, not based upon ability. That's really important delineation for you to, to understand. And so... This is, I think, what gets a little confusing for us because when we talk about um, these, these different delegated authorities, so this is, these are your parents, these are the social, this is your church leaders, these are the government leaders, that's, that's your, the delegated authorities in our life. But where it gets so confusing and challenging for us is what happens when somebody of your delegated authority tells you to do something that's against Scripture or what God has said? What do you do when delegated authority disagrees with what Scripture says? Well, this is why it's so important to understand what the Bible describes for us. Because Paul talks about, in Philippians chapter 3, that we have our citizenship in heaven. And so, yes, I'm a citizen of the United States, but I'm also a citizen of heaven. I have both of these citizenships that I am to be loyal to. I have double allegiance here. So how do we keep these in balance? This was really the the, the thing that the Pharisees were tempting Jesus with in Luke chapter 20 when they were trying to get get him to, to stumble here. And look at how Jesus differentiates this. Look at this in Luke 20, verse 22. He says, the question was, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose portrait and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now understand, it's really important to understand what he, this delineation that he's making here, because in Jesus's day, Caesar declared himself to be God. But what did Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. So in other words, Caesar is not God. So give to Caesar, what is Caesar's? What do we give to Caesar? Give your taxes, they're part of Caesar's. But give to God, what is God? What belongs to God? Your heart, your life, your your devotion, your worship. He made the delineation here. And so for those first disciples of Jesus Christ, this was going to get almost all of them killed. Because they were willing to obey Caesar in almost everything except this. Caesar is not God. And so when delegated authority disagrees with sovereign authority, authority of truth, that's where civil disobedience comes in. Because you start at the top, not down at the bottom. Delegated authority is your fourth level of authority. And so no matter what, if your conscience disagrees with Scripture, you follow Scripture, not your conscience. If your delegated authorities disagree with Scripture, you follow Scripture, not your delegated authorities. And so then the fifth level of authority is the authority of customs, the authority of customs, in Genesis 29, verse 26, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. This is what got Jacob into a lot of trouble when he was trying to marry this woman that he fell in love with. And, and I would suggest to you that a lot of times we don't even think about the authority of customs when it comes to our life. But it's important for you to understand that in every culture, there's different ways of doing things. And they have authority in your life. When I lived in Germany, I really got messed up by this. Because I didn't know as a young 22-year-old living in Germany that giving flowers to a girl when you don't know what type of flower and how many flowers to give can get you in trouble. Because every flower has a meaning, and every number of flowers has another meaning on top of it. I won't go into details. But anyway, <laughs> it would be the same thing if you came here to the United States and you didn't understand the custom of giving a ring, and so you have this great friend, fellas, and you give this girl a ring. You may have just communicated something you didn't know you wanted to communicate. That's the authority of customs here. We have in our, in our, still in the United States, we have dry counties. So drinking is a cultural thing, drink or, or not drink, depending on what, what county that, that you live in. And so it's important, again, that we take what, the decisions that we're making and our beliefs and ideas through this grid. First and foremost, through sovereign authority and the authority of truth, the, then your, the authority of your conscience, then delegated authority, and then the authority of, of cult customs. And then the sixth level is stipulative authority. Stipulative authority. Jacob ran into this one as well in Genesis 29, verse 18. I will work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel and so stipulative authority is based upon the terms and conditions of a of an agreement so that's signing an honor code that's that's giving your your word it's making a promise it's signing a contract you come under the terms of the agreement and that is part of an authority that you're to come under and so that's that's the sixth level and the final level is called functional authority Functional authority. And the difference between functional authority and delegated authority. Remember, delegated authority is based upon responsibility. Functional authority is based upon ability through training, through skill, through gifting, through impartation, through education. And so examples of functional authority in your life. Um, anybody, it, 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 If you don't know how computers work and your computer crashes, you, go, you call somebody who understands computers and they come and help you with your computer, that person has functional authority. Because they're an expert in something. Doctors, nurses have functional authority. Your car mechanic, if you don't know anything about cars, I don't know anything about cars. That car, my car mechanic has enormous functional authority in my life because I don't have a clue. I'm going to do what the guy tells me to do, whether it's right or wrong, because he knows and, and I don't know. That's what a functional authority is. It's based upon ability, and we're bring our life in. Under- so what does your doctor say about this? You better listen. He has functional authority. Now, so those are the that's the seven-level grid that we're then to bring our lives under. But there's one more important aspect I need to run through real quick before we end. It's at the end of Romans chapter 14, verse 13. It says, and Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a ca- or cause to fall in, a, in our brother's way. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything which your brother, which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. And so Paul talks about there's one more enormous authority that we have to live our lives under. This is the highest level of authority, and that is love. That love Covers all these other, love is the last one that we go through. And so no matter what, I, what decision that I'm making, or what belief or idea that I have, when I take it through this grid of authority, if I come out with freedom that I can do this. So in other words, I make a decision as a Christian, I can wear black clothes. Or I make it through this grid and as a Christian, I can drink alcohol. No matter what decision or idea that you, you take through this grid and you live under, when you find that freedom, I then also have to be aware of everybody else around me. Because in my freedom, if I cause somebody to stumble, I've missed the whole point. And so I need to be aware of my brothers and sisters around me, and I will then intentionally let go of my freedom to wear black clothes, my freedom to drink, or whatever it might be. I'm using kind of crazy examples here today. I let go of that because I don't want to cause you to stumble. And so if I don't know you, I'm going to make sure I don't do those things in your presence so as not to create a stumbling block. That's what he's talking about here. Listen, folks, the big picture he's talking about, that God created these authorities in our life for our protection, our blessing, our freedom, and when we live our lives under authority, that's where faith is really able to stir, and that's where you see God move in tremendous and dramatic ways. Does that makes sense? And so that's why every decision that you have, don't bring your authorities into it. Don't just make decisions by yourself, because you're coming outside, no matter what you're doing, the thoughts that you have and the ideas that you have, bring authorities into it, because then you're going to find protection, then you're going to find blessing. Does this makes sense, everybody. I know I just ran through a whole bunch of stuff. We changed the side of the surface here so I could speak a little bit longer than normal. I apologize for that. But chapter 13, oh, it's a big one. (laughs) It's a big one. And so I just threw a whole bunch out. I hope you're ready to come to Catalyst in the fall. We'll we'll spend a lot more time talking about it. Why don't you stand up on your feet here. Let me just pray over you here as we are going to get ready to leave. And so, Father, I pray for every one of us. God, you know the culture in which we live in. God, you know what's happening in our society. You know even our own feelings and where we've been hurt and, and controlled by and misused by and, and abused by authorities in our life. God, you know all of that. And, and so, Father, I pray that you would even do a work in our own heart, God, that you would heal us from the pain and the torture and the abuse that's happened to us by the authorities. That are over us. And Lord, I pray for each person who is in a position of authority. And the reality is that every one of us are in some position of authority. So I pray for all of us that God, that we would represent you well. As we go into this week, that we would represent who you are to those that we are serving. Lord, that we would bless those around us. Lord, we would fight for those without a voice. Lord, we would pay attention to the hurt and the downcast and the the downtrodden. Lord, that we wouldn't just look at those things that that everybody else is looking, but, God, that we would truly represent you this week in our positions of authority. And so, Father, I pray just continue to teach us. Show us how to live our lives under authority so we can walk in freedom, that we can walk in your blessing, or we can walk in your protection, that faith would really stir inside of our lives. And so, Lord, I just speak. And release your blessing on these people to walk in all that you have for them. To walk in the purposes and plans that you have for their life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you, everyone. Thank you so much for coming to church here today. We'll see you next week.